Well, last week we wrapped up our summer series on the book of Proverbs, and, and next week, Lord willing, we will start a new series. So this morning I get to preach on whatever I want, and so I've taken the liberty to do that. Um, but I've been reading through the Gospel of Luke as part of my daily Bible reading, and this particular passage has just kept coming back to mind, and so I thought... Let's spend some time looking at it this morning. It's in Luke chapter 15, and it's probably a passage that's familiar to a lot of you. Uh, So I've been praying for myself and for all of you that God would give us eyes to see what's really here. Let me provide just a little context before we jump in. Jesus, in this passage, is responding to the religious leaders of his day who are taking issue with the sort of people that he's rubbing shoulders with that they don't like the crowd that's drawing near to him. And so what does Jesus do? He responds by telling three parables, by telling three stories about lost things that have value to someone. And then when that lost thing is found, that there is cause for joy and celebration, And Jesus is inviting them to share in it with him. And his point in telling these parables is to paint a picture for all of us of what God is like. And what Jesus himself is like. In particular, he is a glad God who rejoices in saving sinners like you and me. And he's inviting us to share in his joy with him. And so this morning, I want us to spend our time looking at the first parable. And here's what I want us to see. I want us to see that Jesus is the shepherd who goes after his sheep. And brothers and sisters, he doesn't do it begrudgingly, but he does it gladly. That they might share in the joy that he has in them. In short, it is a parable about the gospel. This is Luke chapter 15. 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is God's word for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would give us eyes to see what's here. You would give us ears to hear what is here. And that you would give us hearts to embrace the shepherd that is here. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you, have you ever lost something really valuable to you? Several years ago, um, shortly after Natalie and I got married, we were living in Chicago, and it was winter, and it was snowing, which is shocking, I know, for Chicago in the winter. But I had gotten off of work, and had taken the train home, was walking back to our apartment in the snow, 
and there was a cab that had gotten stuck. And so being the person that I am, very noble, I helped the cab get unstuck. So I was pushing him. And at some point along the way, I had taken, taken my gloves off only to later realize that my wedding ring had fallen off somewhere in the snow, somewhere on the street. I wasn't exactly sure where it was, but I helped the cab get out. And then I started looking for my ring in about a foot of snow. And I looked and I looked and I looked, couldn't find anything. So I walked back to our apartment, grabbed a shovel, went back. It's a very busy street, walked back and started shoveling out the snow to try to find my wedding ring and still couldn't find it. And fast forward a few days, multiple searches. The snow had finally melted. A street sweeper had come through and I was just walking by looking around for it and there in the dirt and the muck and the debris, I could see a small sliver of the silver silver shining through. I had found my ring. And And here's the thing, I know that it's just a ring, right? But I can't tell you the joy that filled my heart when I had found it. And I couldn't wait to go home and tell Natalie that I had found my ring because I wanted her to share in the joy that I had. Now, Jesus here in this parable is saying something very similar. A shepherd has a sheep that has strayed, that it is lost. And because he loves it, he leaves the others to find the one. And when he does, what does he do? He rejoices. And he invites others to share with him in his joy so that his joy becomes their joy. So here's how I want to approach this passage this morning. I want us to look at each of the characters in the story. First, I want to look at the quote-unquote saints. These are the guys who are taking issue with Jesus. They're the religious leaders, or we could say they are those within the church. They're the 99 here that Jesus refers to. That's the first thing. The second thing, I want to look at the quote-unquote sinners. These are the tax collectors and those like them who are coming to Jesus. They are the lost sheep, those currently outside the church. And then third and last, I want us to consider the shepherd here. So that's where we're headed this morning. Saint, sinner, shepherd. First, let's consider the saints. In verses 1 and 2 there, you'll see that Luke clues us in on the kinds of responses that Jesus was getting to his ministry, right? That on the one hand, you had the tax collectors and the sinners, which was just a catch-all way of saying those who were outside the faith community. You know, from the prostitute to the guy panhandling on the street from the sellout tax collector who was ripping everybody off, who he himself knew that he was and everyone else around him knew that he was, to the guy with piercings and tattoos all over his body, or like the woman I met just this morning while I was pumping gas who walked up to me asking for some money, and I had an opportunity to hear a little bit of her story. It was those sorts of people who were pressing in on Jesus. He was compelling to them. And we see this dynamic playing out throughout the Gospels that those on the outside were the ones who were drawing near to Jesus. 
Well, on the other hand, those on the inside, the religious leaders, those within the church who claim to know and love God and to speak for him and to walk in his ways, they were the ones who were withdrawing from him and rejecting him. So Luke tells us here in verse 2, they grumbled that Jesus was rubbing shoulders with sinners. In other words, they weren't complimenting him for his outreach. They were criticizing him for it. And they were complaining about it. And that word grumble there in verse 2 is intentional by Luke. And here's why. If you remember, if you were here last summer, we did a sermon series on the book of Numbers. And you may remember that several times in that book, it says that the people of Israel grumbled at God. It's the same word that, you, that, that Luke uses here. Now, why were the people of Israel grumbling then? If you remember, God had saved them out of slavery in Egypt with signs and wonders. He had provided for all of their needs in the wilderness, in miraculous ways. He had spoken his word, his law to them, and he had made a covenant with them that he would be their God and they would be his people. But instead of being filled with gratitude and worship, what do they do? They grumbled and they complained. And they wished that they were back in Egypt with Pharaoh as slaves and in the wilderness with God on their way to the promised land. In short, they wanted a God who thought and acted and looked like them. They wanted to create him in their own image, which is idolatry, which is the essence of our sin, rather than be conformed to his, which is what true worship is. So now fast forward a few millennia to our passage. Get this. Here was God standing right in front of them in the flesh. They could see him. They could touch him. They could hear the words coming out of his mouth. They could watch the miracles with their own eyes. God himself had come to save his people. But like Israel of old, they didn't really see or hear or trust in him because once again, he didn't align with their expectations and demands. So when they see those people over there, the sinners who don't look like them or talk like them or believe like them coming to Jesus and how he welcomes them and eats with them and befriends them and extends mercy and grace to them rather than being filled with gratitude that God was saving sinners. They grumble. And as the quote at the beginning of the bulletin says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. That's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes, the saints had done. And it's also, if we are not careful, what we will do. If we fail to see that we are just as broken and just as much in need of a rescue as the very people that we look down on. Because there's a real danger and a warning here for us who are in the church. 
those of us who get set in our ways, who like to surround ourselves with people just like us, who look like us, who think like us, who are easygoing like us, who don't have a a lot of problems like us, and we can easily, get this, we can easily make Jesus into the God of a particular political party or of certain ethnicities or zip codes or bank balances or intelligence or education or family life. We have stopped seeing them as people who are created in the very image of God, who, like us, need his image restored in them and have started seeing them as caricatures and projects. And when they don't fit the image that we have made of Jesus who looks and thinks and acts like us, when those people walk into the church, we say, wait, what are you doing here? Now, most of us wouldn't actually say that out loud, would we? But sometimes we're probably thinking it. And all the while, the Jesus that we encounter here, the real Jesus, God in the flesh, welcomes them and embraces them. Church, that is a warning for us, but it's also an invitation. Because there's a real irony here in this passage, and it's this is that those who were supposedly closest to God, who were inside the faith community, who knew God and his ways, that when God actually does come near, they're actually found to be the ones farthest from him. While those on the outside are running as fast as they can to get near because they see Jesus as full of compassion and mercy and grace and love. There's something else that I want us to see here before we move on. That what makes this, this, this parable even more poignant and powerful for the Pharisees here is that, that they, as the spiritual leaders of Israel, were actually the ones called to be the shepherd of God's sheep. And we see this this language used time and again throughout the Old Testament that as shepherds, they were called to care for the sheep. And they were called especially to care for those who have strayed and who are lost. There are several passages that we could go in the Old Testament, but the best may be Ezekiel 34, and I've included it there in the bulletin. Look down with me at the first of the Ezekiel passages there just so that we can see this. Verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord God, again, he's speaking to the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, you who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter for the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And get this in verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. So what we learn in the Old Testament, what we see right here in this passage, 
is that the leaders, the shepherds of God's people have failed and they are failing in their calling to bring back the strain and to seek the lost. Instead, they were shunning them. And so when Jesus starts in on a story about a shepherd and a lost sheep, and certainly the Ezekiel passage is on his mind, that sort of imagery would not have been lost on them. Because here was the great shepherd standing right in front of them with all the sheep who have strayed, hearing his voice and drawing near and turning to him while all the saints and shepherds grumble. And so what does Jesus do? He responds by telling a story about God's gladness and the very thing that they are grumbling about. Let me tell you what God is like, Jesus says. He's like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and all of the sheep need the shepherd. So those are the saints, the shepherds. What about the sinners? Look there in verse four. Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Jesus assumes here that this is self-evident, right? That of course, if you were a shepherd who had sheep, that you would go after the one who is lost. That a shepherd, at least a halfway good one, cares for his sheep, that they are valuable to him because they belong to him, they're his, and he loves them. And if one is lost, he will not rest until he rescues it. But again, remember the point. That these shepherds, these saints, weren't fulfilling their calling to pursue the lost. But this shepherd, this shepherd does. And they're grumbling about it. So the sheep here are sinners who have strayed from the shepherd, the unrighteous. And what these guys may be slow to pick up on is that Jesus is including them in that. That it's saints and sinners alike who need the shepherd. Now, I'm sure you've heard it said before that sheep are not that smart. Well, here's the thing. I don't have sheep and I haven't been around sheep all that much. And I don't know a ton about them. But... We did decide to get some chickens a while back. So let me tell you a little bit about that because that's been a fun experiment. Here's what I've learned about chickens so far, which isn't a lot. They are really good at escaping. They're actually remarkable at escaping their enclosure. So I'm not that handy, but I've tried putting a, a, a fence with chicken wire. They have a coop and a run. They can play in that. But you know, the whole free range chicken thing, we're trying to play our part. So I thought, let them run around the backyard. So try to put a fence around that. That thing's virtually useless because they're always escaping out of it. But, so they're good at getting out. And once they get out and they start walking down the driveway and then the street and they get disoriented, what I've learned is that they have a really difficult time getting back, not to mention that there are lots of things out there that can harm them, like four wheels of a car, because we live not that far from here. So so there I am, seems like a daily occurrence, and there is Vivian, our daughter, carrying chickens back 
into their safe coop. But the thing is, you know, sheep are similar. Not only are they not that smart, but they can't really survive on their own. That they are dependent. They need guidance and protection from someone. Otherwise, they will never make it. And here's the thing. One of the ways that the Bible likes to describe us, every person on the planet, is that we are just like sheep. Now, doesn't that make you feel better? That you are dumb and dependent. And one of the things that it says, and this was in our assurance of the gospel from Isaiah 53 this morning, is that like sheep, we have all gone astray. That we have all turned to our own way. That that's true of everyone. That none of us have stayed close to the shepherd. That we have left the pasture in search of what we think is a greener one. One that's more satisfying, more fulfilling, only to find out in the end that it is not. And there are wolves around and it's dark and we are weak and defenseless and lost. It's like we have all left the Garden of Eden and we've been trying to make our way back ever since, but we can't seem to find our way back. That's what Jesus is getting at here is that a shepherd has a sheep that has gone astray and he knows that it doesn't stand a chance on its own that unless he goes out to find it and rescue it, it will be lost forever because it can't make its way home by itself. So should he not have compassion on it? Jesus is saying to them, you know that it's true because you would do the very same thing. You would also go after it. But friends, that's us. That's who we are by nature apart from Christ. That we are sheep who have strayed. And we may have tried to cover it up. Cover up the stench and the dirt from our being out in the world by putting some nice clothes on. We may have tried to conceal our dissatisfaction by getting a good job and buying a nice house and filling our schedules with lots of activities. We may have tried cloaking our guilt by coming to church and tithing and doing good deeds, but we are still lost apart from Christ because we have yet to hear the voice of the shepherd calling out to us. We have yet to turn and see him standing there ready to rescue us and to carry us home because we have yet to see how far from home we really are. And that there is no way back apart from him. If that's you this morning, if that's you this morning, I pray that today you hear his voice and you see him standing there with a big smile on his face, ready to pick you up and rescue you. But the thing is, the religious leaders didn't see themselves in that light. They didn't see their need for repentance because they were right there looking at the face of Jesus and rejecting him. And they looked at those people over there, the ones with the smell of alcohol on their breath and nicotine on their clothes and tattoos and piercings all over their body, looking down their noses at them, but they couldn't see how they too were like them. 
lost in the dark and in need of rescue. It's not that the 99 here in the story don't need to repent. It's simply that they don't see their need for repentance. And that's a really dangerous place to be. But they don't see him. And it's shown to be true because they see the shepherd standing right in front of them, but they don't share in his joy in the sheep who are being saved. So we are the sinners. It's not, it's not us over here, the clean people, right? And them over here, the unclean people. But it's all of us. We all share in sin and the need of a Savior. We are all sheep who have strayed. So what about the shepherd? That's where this gets really good. This is where the gospel is on display for us in this passage. Look what Jesus says about him, which he's really just saying about himself. Verse 4 says he has 100 sheep. He leaves the 99 to go after the one that's lost until he finds it, verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So what are some things that we can say about this shepherd? I want to highlight just eight things briefly. The first thing that we can say is that we can say that he knows those who belong to him. He has a hundred sheep and he knows that one of them is missing. Jesus says elsewhere in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. What a thing it is for us to be known by Jesus. The second thing we can say is that he loves those who belong to him. He loves them. When one is lost, he doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say, it's not a big deal. I have 99. Don't really care about the one. But what does he do? He leaves everything to go after the one. That's what love does. It moves towards, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Every single one of his sheep matters to him. Rich, poor, black, white, educated, uneducated, great family, terrible family, skeletons in the closet, no skeletons. He pursues his sheep out of love for them. What a thing it is for us to be loved by Jesus. And how dare we look down our noses at those who aren't like us, whom he loves. Third thing, we can say that he is willing to give up his life for those who belong to him. The sheep has left the safety of the pasture and the care of the shepherds lost in the wilderness. There's danger all around, but the shepherd has counted the cost and he is willing to give up his life if necessary to save the sheep. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The fourth thing, we can say that he will not lose any of those who belong to him. He will search for them until they are found. My father, Jesus says, who has given my sheep to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And later on, he says in John 18, of those whom you have given me, I have not lost one. What an amazing thing it is to be kept by Jesus Brothers and sisters, if we could come to know and believe that deep down in our bones, we would fear nothing. We would fear nothing. The other day, my family and I were up at an apple orchard and my daughter Vivian wanted me to just run with her through the rows of apple trees. It's the cutest thing in the world, right? But we were running along and at one point she heard a noise that scared her. And she asked me what it was. And I, I told her, Honey, I'm, I'm not sure what that was. But I told her, you don't need to be afraid. And she looked at me and said, why, Daddy? Because you're with me? And I said, yeah, honey. You don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. And literally in that moment, I prayed to my Heavenly Father, give me faith in you like she has faith in me. He, our shepherd, is keeping us and we will not be lost. Fifth, we can say that he rejoices in those who belong to him. What's his response there in verse five when he finds the sheep? It says, when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. It's his joy to save the sheep. He doesn't go after them begrudgingly, but gladly. The writer of Hebrews says of Jesus, for the joy set before him, get that, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So let me ask, do you have a category in your theology for a happy God who delights to save sinners? Even more to the point, do you believe that God rejoices in you? That you make him glad? That you make him happy? What a thing it is for us to have the smile of Jesus. The Pharisees, the self-righteous grumble while God is glad. The sixth thing, and in that same verse, we can say that he rescues those who belong to him and he carries them home. The sheep is not able to save itself. It needs the shepherd. It contributes nothing to its rescue, but it rests solely on the shoulders and strength of the shepherd. What a thing it is for us to rest in Jesus and be carried by him. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Seventh, we can say that he wants others to share in the joy that he has in those who belong to him, who turn to him, so that his joy will become their joy. Verse six, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. That's the thing about joy, isn't it? that it's hard for us to contain it because it wants to be shared. We know that be, to be true, don't we? We want others to share in the joy that we have. 
So get this picture in your mind. Picture Jesus here, the good shepherd. And he has a a sheep on his shoulders. He's carrying it. And he has a beaming smile across his face. Don't forget the smile. And he has joy in his heart and he is saying this person, this one, you know, the one who doesn't look like much is cause for celebration and joy. Join me in my joy. And then the last thing, we can say that Jesus is the shepherd that we all need, saint and sinner alike. In verse seven, he gives the point of the parable just so he says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Brothers and sisters, what a thing it is for us to see our need for Jesus. Again, we can't lose sight of why he's telling this parable in the first place. The 99 were grumbling at him for welcoming and receiving sinners, those who didn't look like them. So what does Jesus do? He he shows them God's gladness in that very thing. That it makes him really happy when the sellout tax collector who's ripping people off And the one who loves pornography and the one who loves money and the adulterer and the drug abuser and the homosexual and the self-righteous and the arrogant and people like us sees Jesus as the shepherd of their soul and repents and rests in him alone for salvation. It's precisely the reason that he came to seek and to save the lost and it brings him great joy when they are found. Friends, none of us saint or sinner, churched or unchurched, those who think we have it all together, that we are special and that God is lucky to have us on his team, and those who feel like we are a total mess and that we're not special to anyone and certainly not to God, that none of us can save ourselves or cause ourselves to see our need for saving, but that is where the good news comes in. It took God himself to come in the flesh and the person of Jesus Christ to be the shepherd and the savior we all need to run after us when we were running away from him. Long before Jesus told this story in Luke, in the same chapter that we read earlier in Ezekiel, listen to what God says there. I've put it in your bulletin, starting in verse 15. Listen to what God says. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. This is God talking. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. In verse 22, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Friends, this is the good news for us. 
God in Christ, the son of David, does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Believe the good news this morning. Let me end like this and just speak first to the Christians in the room, those who follow Jesus. Are we like him? Are we like the Jesus we see here? Do we welcome the outsider? Do we befriend those who don't look like us? Are we willing to get ourselves dirty to seek the lost? Like him, do we move towards the lost and pursue the strain? Are we marked by compassion and kindness because of the grace and mercy shown us? And out of the overflow of that, show Jesus to be compelling to those who don't yet know him. Saints, this is what we are called to. And it is a happy endeavor to share in the joy that Jesus has in saving sinners like us. He is doing it through his saints, his church. Or have we become like the Pharisees and the scribes and need to repent? Because those of us who say we know and love him and desire to be like him, if that's true, then we should be the most welcoming people on the planet. Have we made Jesus into our own image rather than being conformed to him? Because we know that Jesus is the only hope for the world. And then those in the room who may not be Christians, would you forgive us for our failures? for our blindness to our own pride and self-righteousness. And would you look to Jesus this morning? The one who left everything to come for you, personally, you. And would you hear him calling out to you? And would you see the big smile on his face? And would you feel the love and the compassion and the mercy in his heart as he reaches down to pick you up? He invites you to turn from your sins and to rest in him alone for your salvation. And we, the sinner saints, will join with him in the joy that he has in you. For Jesus says there will be more joy in heaven over one who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. I pray that God would make it so. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the picture of Jesus that we get here. He is the shepherd who goes after his sheep and he does it gladly. Father, I pray for us as a church, as Christians, that our desire would be to be like Jesus. And Father, for those who don't yet know him, I pray today would be the day of salvation. That they would see the Jesus here in the Bible, the real Jesus. His love, his mercy, his compassion. They would turn to him and rest in him for their salvation. God, we pray that you would work miracles. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.